we've been preaching on what the Bible teaches about healing. And how many know that everybody needs healing? Everyone needs healing. Amen. Whether it's psychologically, spiritually, physically, mentally, you know, amen. Um, thank God for the fact that we've got a God that heals. And, and a lot of folks need healed emotionally as well. And um, I thank God for the fact that God is the healer. Amen. And I'm going to share a message with you tonight that if you haven't listened to me ever before, please listen to me tonight. Because this is a message that everyone will need, everyone has needed, and it's just we live in a world that we need to know how to turn our healing on. Amen? Need, need, turn, need to know how to turn on our healing. Amen. And uh, I thank God for the fact that God shows us in the scriptures how we can turn our healing on. That's what I'm talking about. Go with me to the book of James, chapter 5, the last chapter. Book of James, last chapter, beginning with verse 13. And I hope you're listening very carefully tonight because this is such a weighty uh, stirring in my soul. I've been excited about the healing power of God. I'm excited about the fact that our God still lives and moves and has his being in our hearts. Verse 13, we're going to read to verse 18. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth but the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. I want to draw your attention to the last sentence of verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to use for a subject tonight, turning on your healing. May be seated. I want you to notice in verse 15, it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It doesn't say the prayer of faith shall save the sinner or the lost. It says that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So he's talking about healing for the sick. 
Now I realize there's sin-sick souls, and I realize there's the type of sickness that you would liken it to sinfulness, but here he's talking about physically sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. I don't know about you, but that just turns me on. That also turns my healing on, my faith for healing. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I want you to know that prayer is something that all of us should hang on to and keep praying because God answers prayer. Pray. Don't get discouraged. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep going before the throne of God. If it doesn't come today, keep going to the throne of God. If you're despair, in despair, keep calling on the name of the Lord. If you're going through a hard time, keep calling on the name of the Lord. If you don't hear, if you don't feel, don't you, if you don't have something happen immediately, just keep calling upon the name of the Lord because prayer is what activates our healing. So I'm going to begin to start with our first point of the message is prayer vocalizes and crystallizes our belief in God's power. Prayer, let me say it again, prayer vocalizes and crystallizes your belief or your faith. Let me share something that some of you will, can relate to. Remember that first time that you were going to tell your spouse, your husband or your wife, whatever the case may be, uh, you were going to say, I love you. That was one of the hardest moments in a man's life. I don't know about the woman's. Because you don't know whether the woman or the man, you know, the man says to the woman he's in love with, and like I told Judy, I love you. And I was sure hoping that she wasn't going to sound back and say, I don't. See, love that is not expressed doesn't visualize. It doesn't come to being. You're never the same after you vocalize your love. Once you vocalize your love, you're hooked. If you don't vocalize, I love you, then, you know, you're still on the dating platform. But if you say, I love you, then you're hooked. You've been hooked like a fish in the water. And you're coming in. Rod and reel and all, you're coming in. Remember the first time I wanted to tell Judy I love her, but, you know, I, I, it was really hard to do that. And once I said that, you know what she said to me? Well, it's about time you told me that. And I love her response. I know it. Well, why did she allow me to go through all that trouble? There's something about vocalizing your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when you get born again, you give your heart to Jesus Christ, what, what vocalizes it, what crystallizes your prayer and your, your testimony is you say it, out loud, you become vocal about your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And until someone becomes vocal about their relationship with Jesus Christ, they won't ever know whether they're saved or not. You know, they'll always doubt their salvation. But once you make it vocal, then other people also hear and know that you believe. Prayer vocalizes and crystallizes your belief or your faith in Christ. In other words, prayer is the turn on knob to everything with God. When you pray and ask the Lord to save you, the knob's turned on. Now, are we saved by praying? Actually, we're not saved by praying because the apostle prayed, prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and he wasn't saved when he was under the name of Saul. We're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you believe him in such a way, you love him so much, you will vocalize it. And when you vocalize it, you crystallize it in your life. It becomes part of your life. I want to encourage everybody, vocalize your love for Jesus Christ when you're out in the community. Vocalize your love for Jesus Christ in your family. Vocalize your love for your children in your home. Vocalize your love for your spouse in your home. Vocalize your love because vocalizing your love is what crystallizes your love and what brings about the strength of the things that God wants to do in your life. Notice verse 16, chapter 5. The last sentence, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so healing is turned on at the cry to God, asking God for healing or forgive, whatever it is, it's turned on by approaching the throne room of God and asking. You have not because you ask not. And so if you're struggling with sickness in your life, remember that you, you, you pray and that turns on. It crystallizes. It, it brings about the, the vocalization of your faith that Jesus Christ heals. Notice verse 14 of 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to start out a little slow tonight, but bear with me. You're going to see some incredible things. And, and this is the confidence we have in him. I'm glad I got confidence in Jesus. I'm glad I've got confidence in God. This is a confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, there it is, prayer, vocalization. If we ask anything according to his will, and we need to know the word of God to know his will, and just look at Jesus if you wonder about his will to heal, just Go anywhere you want to in the four Gospels, and you'll not find any place where Jesus says, I'm not willing. He, he was always willing to heal. The Bible says if you pray and ask anything, he hears us. That's a good start for being healed, isn't it? He hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, it might say, he hears us. Say it again, he hears us. Well, he wants to hear you. And you need to call out to him and ask him the things you desire. For it says, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions 
that we desired of him. So if we ask, we know. He hears us. We call on him. And we know when we ask him, we had the petitions that we desired of him. In other words, we know that God has activated healing for our life. That God loves us and cares for us. You know, a lot of people don't get healed because, and it's simple, they just don't call on the name of the Lord and then follow through with their prayer. See, prayer is not just something you pray and say, well, I hope it works. You've got to follow through with your prayer. Follow through with your belief. Follow through with your faith in Christ. Amen? So you, you, you need to understand that once you pray, you approach the throne room in the name of Jesus Christ. You turn your healing on through prayer, vocalizing, asking God. Because the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You say, well, I, how do I know I'm righteous? Well, if you're born again, you are righteous. Because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Amen? Say, so, well, what if I'm sinning? You're just a dodo bird, what you are. If you're sinning, you need to just confess it to God, repent of it, and let God begin to move in your life. Amen? The second thing I want to point out is Jesus' name, the name of Jesus, is the power of your healing. Jesus, the name of Jesus, is the authority and the power for your healing. Philippians 2.10, Romans 14.11, both say that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We're told very clearly in Philippians 2.10 that if at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. They'll bow of things in heaven, things on the earth, and things under the earth. Un the underworld listens to the name of Jesus Christ. The upper world listens to the name of Jesus Christ. This world listens to the name of Jesus Christ. Everything that has a name that is named, everything, including germs, including cancer, including sickness, that knee, and I've seen a picture of a germ in a microscope, and they've got a lot of knees. And every knee they have will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't know whether germs talk or not. I think they did in the form of croupin they talk. They manifest themselves, amen. Did you know that the germ world is alive? And Jesus Christ is alive, and he's over all that lives. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So at the name of Jesus, every sickness must bow and confess that God is Lord, that Jesus is healer, amen. And once we learn the truth that everything must confess that Jesus is Lord, that includes germs, that includes viruses, that includes sickness and disease, cancer. Did you know cancer grows? Cancer grows. So if cancer grows, then it is called a spirit of infirmity. Anything that grows has a spirit. I grow, and boy, am I growing. I have a spirit. 
I'm a born again spirit. I'm a child of God, been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Rocks don't have a spirit, but everything that grows has a spirit. You say, well, what about a tree? I don't know. I'm not, uh, uh, not that intelligent in the area of, of the vegetation life. I know this. Um, I think you ought to treat your, your trees a little better, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm, you know, the thing is, if something's alive, it's growing. There's a spirit. And cancer, when it's growing. Did you know, the Bible says that when Jesus went in, I think it's the fourth chapter of St. Luke. Remember when Jesus went into Peter's house, his mother-in-law was sick of a fever. Remember that? And when he went into his mother-in-law's house, sick of a, the- a fever, the Bible says that Jesus stood over that woman that had a high fever. He stood over her. He took her by the hand, and he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. He didn't rebuke Peter's mother-in-law. He didn't rebuke the disciples. He rebuked the fever. That's what it says in Luke. It says he rebuked the fever in the Gospel of Luke. Amen. And that's, of course, in the fourth chapter of Luke that he rebuked the fever, verse 38 and 39. Then we're told in Luke 13, verse 11, there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity. She, she was bent over in her body. She couldn't stand up straight. And she'd been like that for, I think it's like 18 years. She'd been bent over. She went to the temple every day. And it says here in verse 11, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent or bowed over and could not in no wise lift up herself. She had a spirit of infirmity. And Jesus spoke to the spirit of infirmity, said, Stand up straight. And she stood up. Isn't that beautiful? See, the problem is we don't, we don't take the underworld seriously. We need to take what we don't see real serious because what we don't see can kill you. Amen? And so Jesus Christ rebuked the, or well, he cast out the spirit of infirmity and went on to say in those scriptures concerning this woman that had been bent over for 18 years that he took authority over the spirits. Did this woman have a demon spirit? No. This woman was a good Christian, or I would have to say Jewish woman. She went to church every Saturday. She had a love for God. She was a daughter of Abraham. She kept the law to the best of her ability. She was not possessed by a demon, but she did have a spirit of infirmity that was ruining her life. You know, spirits of depression ruins people's lives too. Spirits of fear ruin people's lives too. Spirit of, of pride will ruin people's lives. A spirit is alive. If you don't believe that, meet someone that has a spirit of pride. It will manifest itself. Spirit of depression, it will manifest itself. It'll make people very gloomy. And, and God told Timothy, 
You know, Paul, um, Paul told by the Holy Ghost to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Amen? And so if you get a diagnosis that you're sick, remember to turn the healing on. I remember when they first came out with microwaves. I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to turn them on. How many of you ever got a hold of a machine and you couldn't figure out how to turn it on? Only old people are raising their hands now. <laughs> but when you got sickness, you've got to learn to turn it on. And it turns on first by prayer. Second, by the name of Jesus Christ, because the name of Jesus is the authority the last part of Mark chapter 16 says, in my name, you will cast out devils. In my name, you'll speak with new tongues. In my name, you'll, you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It gives a list of things. You'll take up scorpions that not harm you. In my name. So the name of Jesus is authority. The name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus, if you go to heaven, it's going to be because of the name of Jesus Christ. If you're saved, it's because of the name of Jesus Christ. And if you get healed of cancer, it will be because of the name of Jesus Christ. And if you die and go to heaven, it will be because of the name of Jesus Christ. If you live a victorious life, it'll be because of the name of Jesus Christ. So you take the name of Jesus Christ, you pray, turn your healing on, you take the name of Jesus Christ and give God glory and praise God for your healing and believe God to heal your soul and to heal your body. Amen. So there's spirits of infirmity. The name of Jesus takes control over every spirit, whether it be pride or depression or spirit of infirmity, the name of Jesus is far greater than any. Amen? Philippians 2.10 tells us that. Romans 14 verse 11 tells us that. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it, we have a treasure and that treasure is prayer. And don't ever give up praying. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop walking with God. Keep your prayer life going. Don't get discouraged. Last night I was doing some praying and I, and I thought about Terry Wilkins. And he, 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 he went to heaven because cancer gave him the way, you know, tore his veil, his fleshly veil. And he went to heaven. Terry didn't last long. When the doctor said you got cancer, he was gone in just a few weeks. Lonnie didn't last long. Once they discovered it, he was gone. And I look at cancer when it takes someone out quickly and suddenly. I mean, fast growing. It just comes and takes them out immediately. I look at that kind of like a car wreck. Kind of like a, a great attack of the enemy. That sometimes it's just meant to go home early. Sometimes it's just meant for people to go home early. So I don't believe that. Well, the truth is, when they get out of here quicker than we can pray for them, <laughs> you got to come to the conclusion that God just wanted to take them home. Amen. This is so important. God's Word is our rest. God's Word is our rest. I want to point out something. Go with me to Hebrews 4. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Rest. And once again, Lonnie's in heaven, a great man of God. Cancer took him quickly. And today he's in heaven. The same with Terry Wilkins. They're in heaven. But I'm convinced that if God gives you time, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman will avail as much. I'm convinced that you can pray the name of Jesus Christ, turn healing on in your body, and you can cause your immune system to begin to activate and move sovereignly in your body. Because I believe God still heals. Verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Who's this rest to? The people of God. This rest isn't to the sinner. This rest isn't to the world. There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. After the storm, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. After the attacks of the enemy, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. In a world of tribulation and heartbreak, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. No matter what comes our way, sickness, disease, storms and calamity and accidental problems and famine and heartbreak and persecution, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. What is that rest? Right here. What is that rest? Right here. What is that rest? The name of Jesus Christ. What is that rest? Our prayer, talking to God. Notice verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, that's me, I got saved. He that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. I told you I got saved, as God did from his. In other words, I was not saved by my works, I was saved because of the works of Jesus Christ. And I entered into the rest that there wasn't anything I could do to save me, but Jesus did it all. Save my soul. And I entered into the rest of the power of Jesus Christ. I entered into the rest that God loves me. I entered into the rest that Jesus Christ died for me. I entered into the rest that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. I entered into the rest of God's sovereign word that God is powerful. God's a healer. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've entered into that rest. Now here's where it's going to get sticky. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Did you hear that? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So I'm not laboring to be saved. I'm laboring to have rest in what Jesus has done. I'm not laboring to be forgiven. I'm laboring to rest in the words of the Jesus Christ that I am saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not laboring to be saved. I'm laboring to enjoy my salvation. And something else you need to understand. We don't labor to be healed. We labor to rest in the healing power of Jesus Christ. We don't labor to be healed. We labor to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. 
Amen? The one thing we don't do or we should never do is when we get sick, we should never isolate ourselves. When you get sick, you go to a doctor. When you get sick, you get medicine. When you get seriously sick and you need a surgeon, you get a surgeon. If you just stay home and say, isolate yourself and say, I'm not going, you will die. And the problem is, when you get a disease that man can't cure, medicine can't cure, when you get a disease that you can't overcome and the doctors tell you, we can't do anything for you, we'll just make you comfortable, we'll, we'll slow down the process, but we can't do it, we have no cure for it, the last thing you need to do is isolate yourself. You don't isolate yourself from the church. You don't isolate yourself from prayer. You don't isolate yourself from the things of God. You don't isolate yourself from, from uh, 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 worship. You don't, uh, you don't isolate yourself from enjoyment. You know, so many times people get sick and they, they, they draw the curtains close, close and, and, the, and the sickness just becomes their world. And, and, and that's a wrong move. If you're, if you're sick, if you're sick, Yes, doctors are good. Medicine is good. Going to the hospital is, is, is important. But one of the things you need to understand, if you can go to Walmart, if you can go to the shopping center, if you can go do some sports or do some things, but yet you like, isolate yourself from the church, I want you to know the people of God is medicine for your soul. The church is medicine for your healing. The church is a meeting place with Jesus Christ. The church is a house of prayer. The church is a house of encouragement. The church is a house of blessing. The church is a house of God's glory. The, the church is a house of God's spirit. The church is a house of God's faith in God. And when you isolate yourself from the church, you have hurt yourself and you have brought yourself to a place that you may never get healed because you have not entered into that rest. See, I labor to enter into the rest. I'm not laboring to get my healing. I'm not, I'm not laboring to get healed. I'm not, la I'm not laboring to get the rest uh, uh, and to get my healing. I'm laboring in the rest that is found with the people of God. Are you listening to me? The Bible says that we as the people of God have a rest. Isn't that what it says? Verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. I'm laboring to stay in the rest. You say, what do you mean stay in the rest? You know, there's people that say, well, I'm just laboring to stay healed. Wrong. You don't labor to stay healed. You labor to stay in the rest of God. You, you understand we enter into that rest of what Jesus Christ is our healer. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. We labor into that rest. And what kind of labor are we talking about? We're talking about we're entering into that place of prayer. 
that rest that is in prayer, that rest that is, that is in the praise to God, that rest that is in worship to God, that rest is in God's church, that rest is in the enjoyment with the house of the Lord, laboring not to get rest, but laboring to stay at rest in God's word. See, here's the thing. Too many people work too hard at laboring to get healed when they need to labor to get into the place where God heals. And he heals in the place of worship and praise and prayer. He heals in the place of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on now. Some of you are not saying amen, but I know I'm right. God's word is your rest. How many ever heard the doctors use this phrase? Well, they receive spontaneous regression. You know what they call someone that has cancer and the doctors look at you and they say, you're in total remission? We don't know why the cancer's gone. It's just gone. They call it spontaneous Regression. That's a fancy word for doctors to say, we don't know who did it, but you don't have no cancer in your body. And let me know that's the word we need to labor for. We need to look to God. We need to ask God to touch ourselves, uh, touch us in the Spirit of God, and we need to go for that spontaneous regression in our soul. Amen? Spontaneous regression. Some call that remission. But on the way to our healing, we need to understand that we can't isolate ourselves. We need to labor, not for our healing, but I'm laboring to stay in the rest that I have through the name of Jesus Christ, to stay in the rest that I have through the promise of God, to stay in the rest. See, if you stay in the rest that Jesus provides, you'll stay healed. At least you'll have the healing button turned on. Maybe the spontaneous regression hasn't happened yet, but how many would like to see that happen? Well, the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So what do we do? We keep on praying. We keep on calling out to God. We keep on praying and asking God to heal us because we get, you know, I look at Dirt Brown back there. God has healed him and, and, and continues to heal him, make him strong. If, if the doctors were correct, he'd already be in the graveyard. But God has touched uh, Dirt, and thank God for that. And Dirt comes in the refreshing place, the place to rest in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at Richard McMain. I, I call him Lazarus. Why? Because he came out of the tomb of sickness, and God totally gave him a spontaneous Regression. He's healed in the name of Jesus Christ. We all want to have that healing in our life. And sometimes, you know, sometimes God heals us in a slow mode. Sometimes he heals us in the, uh, the, through a doctor, through medicine. Sometimes he heals us through time. Uh, but what we need to make sure we do is get the button turned on. Get your prayer life turned on. Get Get healing turned on. Amen? Now, in this fifth chapter, in this fifth chapter of James, James tells us that Elijah was like us. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, he was referring to the fact Elijah, Elias, here in the scripture, says he was a, like a man and like passion as we are. How I many know that Elijah got depressed? Yeah. Elijah got afraid. Surely not Elijah. Yeah. He got depressed. He got discouraged. God had to rebuke him. God had to suck him out of a cave to get him some courage and get him to eat and go because he was too depressed. Why? Because a woman was after him. Her name was Jezebel. And that woman's going to take his head off. And he had already severed the heads of 850 false prophets. Elijah had. Why would you be scared of, scared of one woman? Well, let me rephrase that. Why would you be scared? <laughs> Elijah, he got depressed, he got discouraged. But the Bible says Elijah did something. He prayed earnestly. The Bible says it's like Elijah. The Bible says the fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it gives the illustration that Elijah prayed for three and a half years that it would not rain. And after three and a half years, he prayed again that it would rain. That's the illustration we got in James chapter 5 that we just read to you. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. In, verse, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah shows up. He's called the Tishbite. I don't know what a Tishbite is, but I don't want bit by one. Elijah appears. He's a Tishbite. He walks into Ahab's palace. He looks at Ahab and he says, Thus said the Lord, there'll be no rain nor dew until I say it's going to rain. And Elijah walks out of the house of Ahab or his palace, walks out and says, why'd you say that for, you dummy? You say, how do you know he said that? Because he's like us. Oh, man. Now it's time for Elijah to pray. Because he's got to pray that it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He's got to pray that it's not going to rain. And every time he sees a cloud, he's bowing his head. He's going, oh, God, don't let it rain. Every time. And, and by, by the way, he also had to pray that the conditions wouldn't get right, that they'd be due. Because he said there'd be no rain nor dew. So Elijah had to figure out, okay, what temperature does it take to make dew? And Elijah had to figure out it can't do. So every evening, what is Elijah doing? He's praying. Because every evening, it can't do. Because he said, God ain't going to let it do. And if he let it do, then he's a false prophet, and he do going to get in a mess. Amen? And so he prayed three and a half years, every cloud to come up, don't rain. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Why? Because God's bringing Israel under judgment. Ahab was a pagan king. Jezebel was a pagan uh, uh, princess, married to uh, Jezebel married to Ahab. The kingdom was yielded to idols and the uh, false prophets of the grove and the false prophets of Baal. Israel was in a mess and God says to Elijah, go down there and tell them, I'm gonna shut up heaven. 
Go down there and tell them it's not going to rain. It's not going to do until I say it's going to rain and going to do because I want to bring them on their knees and I want to bring them to the place of repentance. I want to bring them to a place that they'll look up and they'll look to me for salvation. And Elijah says, that's a good idea. And God says, pray. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And for three and a half years, he prayed. And then God speaks to him in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings and says, I want you to go back down there and tell them I'm going to send some rain. And on his way back to tell Ahab, we're going to send some rain. A man by the name of Obadiah that had been hiding prophets in caves, true prophets of God in caves, and feeding them bread and water. He meets Elijah. And when he meets Elijah, he says, Oh, are you Elijah? Are you the one? And Elijah says, I'm the one. I'm going over to see Ahab. Go tell Ahab, I'm on my way. I want to meet with him. And Obadiah says, no way. There is no way I'm going to go tell Ahab that you're going to meet with him. And then when he shows up here, Ahab shows up here, you'll be gone. And I'll be killed. And Elijah says, I'll wait for him. And he did. And finally, when Ahab catches up with Elijah, Ahab says to Elijah, well, are you the one that troubles Israel? And Elijah says, I'm not the one that troubled Israel. You've troubled Israel. Your sins have troubled Israel. I want to get this done. I want to get this settled. And he says to Ahab, gather all the people of Israel together. Take them up on Mount Carmel. And while you're at it, get your prophets of the grove and your prophets of Baal. And let's meet up there on mountain, Mount Carmel. And we'll get this thing settled once and for all. And Ahab goes up on Mount Carmel with Israel, the false prophets, Baal and the grove. And Elijah says to the people, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If the Lord be not God, then follow Baal. Do, do whatever you want to do. But why are you going to halt between two opinions? The people didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. Why? Because they were scared. They were fearful. And finally, Elijah says, I tell you what we'll do. We'll get a bullock, and we'll let the prophets of Baal take a bullock, cut it up in pieces, and put it on the altar here on Mount Carmel. And, and we'll let them, you can have wood, you can have a bullock, but you can have no fire. And, and then I'll take a bullock, and, and I'll put it up on the altar and the wood, but I'll have no fire. And we'll see the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And the people of Israel says, that's a good plan. And so the people of Israel, the prophets of Baal, got their bullock, they got their, their wood, they got their altar of stone, their wood, they put their bullock on it, and they started praying early in the morning, Oh, Baal. And Baal didn't listen because Baal was stupid. Baal is dumb. And they got Oh, Baal. And they, all morning they cried out, Oh, send the fire. Well, Bell don't even have a matchstick, let alone fire. Bell's only a matchstick. 
And finally, they get so desperate, you know, Elijah says, well, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe, you know, maybe he's, maybe, maybe he can't hear you. He's need to, he ain't got his hearing aid in or whatever. I don't know. And Elijah taunts them. And they get mad because Elijah's laughing at them, so they get knives out. And they cut themselves up. And they cut themselves up, and blood gushes out on the bullock and on the altar. Oh, Baal, hear us. But Baal didn't answer. And Elijah says, well, I think it's time for me to do what I was sent here to do. And so Elijah rebuilds this altar with the 12 stones of Israel. He repairs the altar. He takes the bullock and puts it on there. He puts wood and no fire. And then he says to them, we're in a drought season. I want you to go down the mountain and get some water. We'll take four barrels of water and bring them up here. And I want you to pour it on the bullock and the wood, the stones. Now, I mind you, he's telling the people to walk down the mountain. Now, if there was water in the mountain, there'd be water in the valley. But somewhere down in the valley, they would go get water that was a high precious commodity, and they would get, and I don't know how big them barrels was, but I mean, no five gallon is pretty heavy to carry up a mountain. It might have been three and a half gallon, five gallon, but there was four barrels. And they went down there and got four barrels of water, and they climbed this mountain. I don't know about you, after climbing a mountain with a five gallon bucket of water, a barrel of water, and they get to the top, and Elijah looks at it and says, Give me that barrel. And Elijah just pours it out on the bullock. And they're looking at him like, I just carried that up here. And he takes all four barrels and pours them out on the altar. And then he says, boys, go back down and get me four more barrels of water. And they look at him like, Okay, and there they go, down over the mountain. They get four more barrels of water. They're huffing and puffing. They're dragging their tail up there, trying to get up there to get the water. And Elijah takes the four barrels of water. And he looks at them, and the people look at Elijah. And Elijah takes the four barrels of water, pours it on the wood, on the rocks, the stones. All four barrels he says, boys, let's go down and do it again. And they're thinking, this guy is getting a lot of pleasure out of our suffering. And so they go down and get another four barrels of water up the mountain. They go. They finally get there, huffing and puffing. And finally, they pour the water out on the bullock, the stones, the altar. They drug a trench, which would hold about... I think it said two measures, which would be about three and a half gallon trench around the bullock, around the altar. The altar, everything's wet. The wood's wet. The bullock's wet. The, the ground's wet. The trench is full of water. And uh, then they poured out that precious commodity in a time of drought. And then, Mo, and then Elijah stands up and says, it's time for God to send us some fire. And Elijah cries out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, 
and says, God, you are God. If God be God, send fire. He cries out for fire to come down out of heaven. And the fire came down, clap of thunder. The fire roared down out of heaven. It hit the bullock, sucked up the burnt offering, literally consumed the bullock. Nothing left, nothing left, not a bone left, not a hair left, everything gone. It licked up the rocks. It was so hot, the rocks were eaten and melted away. And it was so hot, the wood was consumed and gone. No ashes. The water was licked up with the with a tongue licking fire and licked that water up and it was gone. Everything was gone. It was consumed totally and licked up the dust of water and all the people fell on their face and said, the Lord be God. The Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. You say, what's that got to do with turning on your healing? Here it is. He never stopped praying. Remember, it hadn't rained yet. And so he turns to Ahab. Well, at first he tells all the people, gather up all the prophets. He took them down to the brook, chair of tears, whatever it was, and he chopped their heads off. They floated down the stream. He killed them all, 850 prophets. He killed them. Elijah killed them. Aren't you glad he don't attend our church? He just killed them all. And then he says to Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. It's a coming. You better make yourself ready because there's coming a rain. Coming a rain. And he said, you better get ready. And in the 18th chapter, you know what he does? The last part of that chapter, he goes up on top of Mount Carmel, overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. He sticks his head between his knees. Elijah does, and he says, God, send the rain. I mean, you know what? This is a good time for an earnest, effectual prayer of a righteous man. And he's praying, God, send the rain. God, send the rain. And he says to his servant, go and look. Go to the sea and look. And see what you see. And the servant come back and said, I don't see nothing. It's just a sea out there. It's water. There's nothing. Not a cloud in the sky. And Elijah says, well, go again. You know, it's tough when you've got a prophet. It makes you do stuff over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus does to us sometimes. And he says, not once, not twice, seven times he tells the servant, go look again. What you doing? He's praying earnestly that it would rain. And then after he prays earnestly that it's going to rain, the seventh time the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud come up out of the sea the size of a man's hand. That's a pretty small cloud. <laughs> How many would agree that wouldn't pump my face very much? The little hand like the si- a cloud little, uh, like the size of a man's hand comes up out of the sea. And Elijah says, whoo, Hallelujah. There's coming a rain. Go tell Ahab, get ready, because it's coming. There's coming an abundance of rain. And while Ahab's getting his chariot all ready to go, and he begins to go down over the mountain. He's, 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 he's cracking that whip. That chariot's going down that hill. And in the meanwhile, the heavens became black with clouds. The heavens were filled with rain. It began to rain. We're talking about pouring down rain. And Ahab's, he's going off Mount Carmel. He's headed for Jezreel. He's headed for Jezreel, the entrance of Jezreel. He's headed home. 
And he's going 25 to 30 miles. And he's got that whip cracking. Them horses are laid back. Their ears are laid back. They're running and running and running. And by the way, they could run pretty fast down a mountain. They're moving on. They're cracking the whip. He's going. I mean, the rain's coming. The clouds are coming. Ahab's headed home. And Elijah pulls up his skirt, his loins. He jumps up and he begins to run on foot. He runs down that mountain just a streaming. I mean, he's going. He's running. His old beard is laying back behind his neck. His hair's going everywhere. Rain's coming down. He's wiping the rain out of his eyeballs so he can see. He's coming down off that mountain. He's coming down behind Ahab. Ahab looks back and says, oh, there's a wild man coming after me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that prophet's going to kill me. And he cracks the whip a little harder. Go, go, go. And Elijah just keeps running. 25 miles to 30 miles he runs. Let me tell you, that takes a God in heaven for even a teenager to run 25, 30 miles. Sprint fast as they can go. Ahab looks back and says, eat after me. And boy, when Elijah gets up close to the chariot, kind of like, you know, the roadrunner, the coyote. Oh, Elijah looks over there. They have in the chariot soaked in rain and it's streaming down and Elijah's moving on. He comes up beside the chariot, kind of like the, 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 the roadrunner and, and Cody, and he turns and looks at Ahab and says, beep, beep, right on by. Amen. If I buy away, have beep beep right on by. And he beats him to the entrance of Jezreel, 25 miles to 30 miles to Mount Carmel, to the entrance of Jezreel. That took a miracle. By the way, if you're going to keep your healing turned on, it's going to require some miracle on your part. You've got to stop. You've, you've got to not stop praying. You've got to keep praying. You've got to have a fervent, earnest prayer. You've got to keep yourself focused on your healing. You've got to labor to enter into that rest. Not to get your healing, but to enter into that rest of how big your God is. And you've got to learn to run the race with patience that's set before you and keep confessing your healing in Jesus' name and keep asking God to bring a miracle into your life so that spontaneous regeneration, that spontaneous remission will come upon your soul and praise God you'll live and not die. Amen. See, I don't remember exact age. He was in his 90s, approaching 100. Out in Nevada, he was, his name was Dossie. I pastored him. And they diagnosed Dossie when he was 15 or 16, just a teenager. might have been 14, just a teenager. They diagnosed him with cancer. And they told Dossie, he said, you're going you're gonna to die. You'll never You'll never live long enough to have a family. You'll never live long enough to, I mean, you're going to be gone within, I think, I think the doctor told him you'll be gone by 
less than a year. And they asked Dossie, they said, do you want us to treat it? And back then there wasn't much treatment for it. It was just cut it, burn it, or poison it. And Dossie said, well, he said, uh, I don't think I'm going to take the treatments. He said, others can. He said, that's fine. But he said, I think I'll just trust the Lord. And later on, Dossie did go back and get treatment. So I'm not giving you permission to avoid doctors here. I mean, doctors are good. But they thought he would die as a teenager. He lived up into his 90s, approaching 100 years old. And one of his statements was every morning when he got up, Dossie, you may die, but not today. That was his testimony. Every morning he got up and said, Dossie, you may die, but not from cancer. You may die, but not today. And for over 80 years, he had the same testimony every morning. Dossie, you may die, but not today. You know what he was doing? He was laboring to enter into the rest. The rest that God is a merciful, healing, amazing God. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. Turn your healing on. Turn it on and then don't do things to turn it off. The best way to turn your healing off is get around people that are going to tell you, you're going to die, die, die. You're going to die a horrible, painful death. Don't run around with people like that. You say, why shouldn't I run around people like that? Because they're stupid. That ain't how you talk to people. You tell them, I'm going to live and not die. Amen? Going to live for the Lord. Going to serve God. Amen? Going to honor God. Change your confession. Believe God. Turn your healing on. Keep your prayer. Keep your name of Jesus strong in your life. Keep your confession. Keep honoring God. Keep serving God. God may heal you through medicine. He may heal you through time. He may heal you for sur uh, through surgery. He may heal you through a spontaneous remission a recession in your heart, and the doctors may not be able to explain it, but you'll know what it is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is still a healing God. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep earnestly praying. Keep, keep, keep your healing turned on. Don't isolate yourself from the church. Don't isolate yourself from the things of God. Don't isolate yourself from worship and giving God praise. Don't isolate yourself from, listen, listen, if the doctors told you there's no cure for it, we'll just slow it down. That'll give you a little bit of incentive to say, I'm going to go somewhere where there's a higher power. I knew a lady... Jack remembers this lady. She, her, her grandmother died of lung cancer. What was that, the age of 38 or 39? Remember the girl, her grandmother died of lung cancer? I think it was, I think it was 38 years old. Might have been 39. Just a young girl. Her, her grandmother died of lung cancer at 38 years old. 
Her mother died of lung cancer at 38 years old. And she told Jack and I, I'm going to die at 38 years old. Sure enough, she got lung cancer. And she died at 38 years old. She spoke that. Remember that? She spoke it. Amen. I had a lady across the street from me when I lived down toward uh, the Galena, Missouri area. And they told her she had cancer. And they said, you won't live but 30 days. But when it's time for you to die, we'll fly the chopper in. And we'll land the chopper right there by your house. There's a big field there. We'll land it there. And we'll raise you up. And we'll take you to the hospital. And we'll make you comfortable. And you'll die in 30 days. I went and seen her. And I said, Jesus can turn that around. That Jesus can give you many more years to live. Jesus can bless your life. I said, let me share Jesus Christ with you. And let me share how glorious Jesus Christ is. She said, nope. Doctor said, I'm going to die in 30 days. I'll be dead by December. I think it was December, this time of year, December the 1st. I'll be dead. So they're going to bring a chopper in, pick me up, take me to the hospital, and I'll be dead. 30 days, I'll be dead. I said, let me pray with you. Let me believe God for you. He said, nope, nope, nope. I'll be dead in 30 days. So let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to do it. And I begged her. I pleaded with her. I tried to pray with her. And she said, would you leave? And 30 days later, <laughs> helicopter drops across the street from where I lived. They loaded her up. They took her to the hospital. And she died in 30 days. Don't take doctors so seriously, please. Let's take God more serious. Amen? Amen? That had been me. I had a hard jack bun or somebody to sneak up there and punch the hole in the helicopter tank so it couldn't get to my house. Amen. See, I want you to understand that you don't labor to get healed. And I think that's one of the problems we got in churches today. We think we labor to get healed. That's not what you do. You labor to enter into the rest that you're already healed. You labor to enter into the power of Jesus Christ. You labor to enter into the forgiveness and the mercy and the healing power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. I went a little longer than I'd planned to. But I felt the weight of this sermon. I felt the need to preach it. It's not an easy sermon to preach. But we do need to understand that the fervent, effectual prayer of a child of God will avail much. Don't stop praying. Don't stop pleading to God. Don't stop calling out to the Lord. Be like Elijah. Pray earnestly. Pray constantly. Cry out to God. And then when it comes time, run down the mountain. Get high enough in your faith in Christ. Run down the mountain. Run, run, run. Keep running. Keep running for Jesus Christ. Keep running for the glory of God. And when you meet a devil, go beep, beep. We go home right on by. Amen. When you meet someone that says, you know, you, you, what's a doctor say? You're going to die. You go beep, beep. And go right on by. Amen. Hear someone talk about the doctor says to you, well, you know, it looks worse. 
beep, beep, go right on by. Keep running. Keep running. Amen. Hallelujah. Change your confession. Believe God for his healing power. God likes to be bragged about. In fact, he's the only one that's worthy to be bragged about. God likes to be spoken about. He, he wants you to talk about your healing. That's why I talk about dirge healing all the time. Love is healing. Love my healing. The Lord heal me. Lazarus there. Every time I call him Lazarus, I'm praising God. Amen. Maybe he don't like the name of Lazarus, but he shouldn't have come out of the tomb like he did. I like the name Lazarus better than Richard anyway. Well, there's nothing wrong with the name Richard, but you earned a better name. Lazarus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God's going to play and sing. When he invites you to come, earnestly pray. Turn your healing on and enter into that rest. That big powerful name of Jesus.